Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. This message I have for you, it's just filled with good news, so spoiler alert, it's going to make you happy. And most of it was, uh, it, it comes from, it's a high altitude sermon. I've been in the mountains all week leading our mountain retreat. And so that's, that's where the best stuff comes, you know, because you're just a little closer to heaven and it gets through easier. And I've been in the mountains and I've got a good message. And we're going to start in John chapter 11, verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was, And saw him. She knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. Today I want to preach on the tears of Jesus. The siblings, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, were friends of Jesus. They lived in Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives, just two miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus and his disciples were often guests in their home. When Jesus would come to Jerusalem, he would stay with his friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, in their home in Bethany. After a crowd had attempted to stone Jesus at the temple, Jesus and his disciples had retreated east of the Jordan. It was during this time that Lazarus fell ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus and they said, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus replied to the messenger, this sickness does not lead to death, but to the glory of God. And then Jesus delayed two more days. Finally, he said to his disciples, we're going to go back to Judea. And they said, Master, they were just trying to stone you. He says, all right. I need to go back. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I am going there to awaken him. The disciples didn't understand. They said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. And then Jesus made it plain and said, Lazarus is dead. So Jesus returned to Judea. He went to the home of Martha and Mary and Bethany. And when Jesus arrived, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Martha came out to meet him and said, Lord, if you'd have come, If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. 
Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know. I know. In the resurrection on the last day with everybody else, I know my brother will rise again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he called for Mary, and Mary came, and Mary said the exact same thing that Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, and she began to weep. And the mourners who had gathered began to weep. And then Jesus began to weep. We take up the story. Verse 38 of John 11. Then Jesus again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The raising of Lazarus is the seventh and greatest sign in John's gospel. It points to Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection and the restoration of all things. In the raising of Lazarus, every Lazarus, every hopeless case finds hope. Amen. But if this is so, why did Jesus weep? What was the purpose of Jesus' tears? He's about to raise Lazarus. He knows that. That's why he's come. So why the weeping? Why the tears? Why doesn't just Jesus just show up, raise the dead, and the party's on? Why this moment of weeping? Between Mary and Martha weeping and Jesus joining them and weeping and Lazarus being raised from the dead, how much time was there? There wasn't a lot of time. He's come, he listens to them, he weeps with them, they go to the tomb, they they roll away the stone. How much time was there? Well, maybe, maybe half an hour. Not a long time. But it was a time to be endured nonetheless. It was the silent time of the seventh seal. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. 
Half an hour in heaven is how long on earth? Who knows? Who knows? But in the agonizing space of time between death and resurrection, Jesus weeps with us. Yes, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He said so. He said, first of all, he says, this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. And then he waits two days and then he says, let's go. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I need, I like that. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I go to awaken him. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew the future. He knew that he would arrive in Bethany and raise Lazarus from the dead and restore the brother to the sisters and restore his life and it would be his greatest miracle. Jesus knew that. Yet even knowing that he was about to raise Lazarus, let's say in a half an hour, Jesus shared the sorrow of that half hour with Martha and Mary and Jesus wept. Jesus knew what he was about to do to undo death for Lazarus and still he wept. The future is open to our freedom. It's not determined. We don't live in a determined world. Our freedom is genuine and real. The future is open to our freedom, but not unknown to God. This creates a paradox, at least for some. I don't see it as that big of a problem. God is transcendent at time. Time is a temporal creation that inhabits God, not the other way around. You might think of it as this. God does not inhabit time. God holds time in his hand. Time for us is real. We experience it. It's open and full of freedom. Our choices matter, and they are free choices. God transcends time. Alpha and Omega, beholding the end from the beginning. But in Christ, God also shares the experience of time with us. God transcends time, knows all things from beginning to end, and yet in Christ, God also shares the experience of time with us. So when heaven is silent for half an hour, or half a year, or half a lifetime, and we weep, Christ weeps with us. He goes through that time with us. Then the seventh seal is broken and the seventh trumpet sounds and the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. I mean, this is what is anticipated in John's seventh sign. The raising of Lazarus anticipates when all things will be restored and raised to newness of life. When we look at Jesus, one moment weeping, the next moment raising the dead, and in the moment of his weeping, knowing that he is going to raise the dead. I mean, you you see that there is something, in one sense, there's something odd about that. Jesus knows that everything is going to be all right in half an hour. But still he weeps in that half hour with those that weep. 
What we see here, and look out, I'm going to go theological on you. What we see here is the hypostatic union. That is, the theological term has been around since the fourth century, that we use to describe the nature of Christ. That in fact, Christ has two natures in one person. Christ is one person, he has two natures, divine and human. So the divine nature of Christ knows that he's about to raise Lazarus and says so. But the human nature of Christ shares the sorrow of time and weeps with us. Two natures, divine nature, knows all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And Jesus says so. Nothing is hidden from him. He is the Alpha and Omega. But Jesus also inhabits the time of our sorrow and shares our tears with us. Two natures. One divine, one human. One knowing all things and knowing that all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. That there will be the restoration of all things, knowing that. The human nature of Christ joins with us in our present half hour of sorrow. When heaven is silent and we don't understand and all we can do is weep and Jesus weeps with us. Two natures. The one who walks on water also sits weary at the well of Sychar. Who can walk on water? The son of God. Who can sit weary at a well because of a long walk? All of us. And Jesus joins us in that. He walks on water, divine nature. He sits weary at the well of Sychar, human nature. The one who knows Peter's question about the temple tax in advance also says, who touched me? There is an omniscience in Christ, and yet there is still... Who touched me? Was it you? Two natures. The one who says, I am the water of life, also cries, I thirst. The one who says, I am the resurrection and the life, also weeps over Lazarus. The divine nature of Christ fills eternity and guarantees the restoration of all things. The reason I have hope today, and there's reasons not to have hope, but the reason that when all is said and done I have hope is that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe the world will be saved because God so loved the world that he sent his son to save the world. The son's not going to come back and say, Father, I tried, but you can't believe how messed up it is. No, the world will be saved because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Is what he does. The divine nature of Christ fills eternity and guarantees the restoration of all things. But the human nature of Christ inhabits time with us and shares our sorrows. So our salvation is contained in both divine and human natures of Christ. We need both. We need, you understand we need both. 
I need a God who can guarantee the restoration of all things. Through his might, through his power. I need a God that is transcendent in that sense. But I also need a God who can be with me and share my tears. Jesus knows the names of your departed loved ones. You know, this is the great sorrow of life. That every friendship, every family relationship in one way or another ends in death. Jesus knows the names of your departed loved ones. And he will call them by name and recall them to life. Lazarus, come forth. John, come forth. Jane, come forth. Michael, come forth. Mary, come forth. He knows the names of your departed loved ones and he will recall them to life as surely as he called Lazarus back to Martha and Mary. But in the meantime, and the meantime can be very mean sometimes. In the meantime, Jesus weeps with you at the grave of your loved ones. He shares your tears. The one who is the resurrection and the life also knows the sorrows of time. We're not told the story in the Gospels. But it is evident that by the time Jesus begins his ministry, Joseph, the man who he would have known and experienced as his father, has already died. We're not told the story. We don't know when. But it's clear that by now, Mary is a widow. Jesus knows what it's like to stand at the grave of a loved one and weep. When Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus, it's not the first time he's wept at a grave. Jesus knows what it is like to have sorrow in the meantime. You see, if God is only impassable, that is unmoved, unchanged by human sorrow. If God is only that, he is that. But if he is only that, well, if God is, only, if God is above it all promising a future restoration of all things, but if he's only that, if God is only that, we are left alone in the sorrows of time. You know, if, if God is above it all, he's not, he's not moved by that. He's He's not changed by our sorrows. He can stand above it and then guarantee a future where all things are made well. But if, he, if, God, if God is only that, then we're left alone in the sorrows of time. But if God is only present with us in our temporal sorrows, if that's all God is, is present with us in our temporal sorrows, we have a God who, though compassionate and sharing our sorrows, also shares our ignorance of the future which I would regard as inadequate for perfect peace. So, which would you choose? 
Do, do you want a God who is above it all and unmoved and can actually guarantee future restoration of all things? Or would you rather have a God that, that can be present with you in your sorrow, in your suffering, but as far as the future goes, he's, keep your fingers crossed, we'll see. Well, the good news is, and this is the good news, you don't have to choose. Hypostatic union, hallelujah. <laughs> this might be one of the better sermons ever preached on the hypostatic union. Uh-huh. You don't have to choose. The good news is we don't have to choose between a temporal or an eternal God, the two natures of Christ solve that problem for us. We find in the two natures of Christ, we find both a God who shares time and guarantees our future. In the two natures of Christ, we find both a compassionate brother, relational, and our sovereign king omniscient. Okay, that's enough theology for one Sunday morning. Now let me emphasize this. As we await the blessed hope and the resurrection of all things. We take comfort in the tears of Jesus. Just as the blood of Jesus is holy, so are his tears. We live in a world that Jesus has wept over. We live in a world baptized in the tears of Jesus. In every drop of water on this planet, there's some of the tears of Jesus there. Jesus has wept over our world. When Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, the mourners said, see how he loved him. Everybody knew Jesus loved Lazarus. He was his friend. And those tears shed for Lazarus are not just for Lazarus. They're shed for the whole world and for every individual that Jesus knows by name. We live in a world baptized by the holy tears of Jesus. And we take comfort in this. But also consider this. Jesus was not just moved with tender compassion. He was, but that wasn't the only thing he experienced at the tomb of Lazarus. John eleven thirty three. 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and those who came with her weeping, a deep anger welled up within him. There was this agitation of anger. Not just compassion and pity and sorrow, but also it was mixed with anger. What was Jesus angry about? Jesus was angry about death. Jesus was angry at death because listen to me, death is an enemy. I know it's inevitable, but it's not natural. Those created in the image of God, it's not natural for there to be that kind of final dissolution and loss. Death is an enemy. In fact, it is the enemy. Now, as Jesus is angry and also weeping, 
Because you can do both at the same time, of course. Jesus is angry just at death, at death. But he's also weeping, sharing the sorrow of Mary and Martha and all of the rest. There is an anger rising up in him. And he's preparing to do something about it. In just a moment, let's say a half an hour, Jesus is going to recall Lazarus. Well, Jesus is going to rob death of one of its captives. Death was very used to keeping almost all of its captives. But Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. And what I say goes, Lazarus, come on out of death. Come out, come out. And he does. Jesus can do that. He's the son of God. He can rob death. But then, a few months later, Jesus invaded death by death to rob death of all of its captives. All of them. St. Paul says it like this. Jesus descended into the netherworld to make the captives of death his captives. Ephesians 4, 9. This is what this is about. This icon, this Anastasis, this resurrection icon, this is, this is what this is about. This is the Son of God breaking into it and the gates have fallen down and the locks are broken and the chains are rent asunder. Jesus is breaking into death to lay hold of Adam and Eve, lay hold of Adam and Eva, lay hold of humanity and human life take them by the wrists and bring them up out of he says they're they're my captives now they were the captives of death but jesus no they're my captives now lift up your heads O you gates and you everlasting doors lift up your heads and the king of glory shall come in who is this king of glory the lord of hosts mighty in battle this is the war that jesus waged he waged it upon death and he enters into death so that he can announce, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is the good news. All shall be well. But in the time of heaven's silence, when we weep, we're not alone. For Jesus shares his tears with us. All right, let's, let's bring it to an end. Stand up with me. John 11, we'll pick it up in verse 25. Martha's been saying, yeah, I know, I know, I know. He'll, he'll rise again on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Listen to what Jesus says. He said, you believe in me, even though you die, you'll live. You believe in me, you'll never die. You got to follow that there. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll live, even though you die. If you believe in me, you'll never die. Two different statements. Jesus says, if you believe in me, even when you die, you'll live again. Amen. And if you believe in me, you'll never die. Because see, there's two perspectives. 
How many of you have had a loved one die? Yeah, that's your perspective. It's not their perspective. They went down into death and did not encounter death. They encountered this one right here. This one. So those of you that are, are, are sorrowing right now, shed your tears. Jesus weeps with you. I'm not telling you not to weep. Jesus weeps with you. But I also do want you to know that if you could talk to your loved one right now and you say, what was it like to die? They would say, die, what are you talking about? I've never been more alive. When I was alive, I thought I was alive, but that really wasn't alive. It's when I met Jesus. I'm alive now forever. All right, so that's good. We can shout hallelujah. And we should, and we do. Because all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. But in the meantime of heaven's silence, when we weep, we are not alone. For the tears of Jesus share our sorrow. Amen. Let's come to the table of everlasting life. Let's begin by confessing our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. And now, let's receive the Lord's forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.